We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. It is good to be with your people today, and it is good uh, to worship you. You've commanded it, and you've given us reasons to do it so much in our life we have to be thankful for. Um, chief of those is you, and chief of those is your son, who you sent to us, Lord God. I give you praise for the work and the effort that has gone in to each person that's made a contribution to leading us today. They've learned their, their instruments, their music well, and that they've established a tradition of worship in their lives and in their families' lives. And so, Lord God, I pray that as we open up your word, we would carry on that tradition of looking at your scriptures and having our lives changed by the work of your spirit spoken out. You illumine your word today. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. My wife and I were uh, cleaning out our attic the other day, which is always a joyful experience. I hope that you also get to have that privilege in the near future. Yeah, we, uh, we're cleaning it out, and, and there's a bunch of stuff in there that, that we needed to keep, we wanted to keep, and there's also a bunch of stuff in there that we needed to get rid of. And so it's that process. Uh, we're, we're welcoming somebody else into our family in a couple months, and so we wanted to make a, a spot for her. And uh, yeah, so we went through, and there were some keepsakes, some mementos we wanted to keep, some that were sentimental to us at one point, but now we're like, eh, that kind of pales in comparison to some other things we've done, and so we threw those away. I found a giant box of seminary notes that I had, and, and don't, I got rid of those, but don't worry, I prepared this sermon first, so I, we're good. It's next week you've got to worry about. But uh, yeah, we, we cleared out a bunch of things, and that's a really difficult thing about, about new things coming up, and, and the future's always coming, life's always changing, and so we almost constantly have to address the question of what do we keep and what do we get rid of? What do we, what do we, what do we toss overboard and what do, we, what do we keep? And one of those things is tradition. Tradition is something that regularly runs into the future, and we're having to constantly evaluate, does this stay with us, or do we get rid of it? There's been a tradition in church of, 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 of flagellating yourself, right? You, you beat your back, and, and, and that's how you show devotion of God. We don't really do that anymore. Praise the Lord. I really feel like I should have gotten an amen there. We don't do that anymore. It's a tradition that went out. Thankfully, it did. So I want us to talk today about traditions. I want us to talk about what it is that we keep and what it is that we get rid of and how we can know what we keep and what we get, what kind of, how do we do this? How do we make those decisions? And some of you are already mad at me and that's okay. That's great. Um, But it's going to be a good morning where we talk about uh, looking at Jesus' words where he quotes scripture and he encourages the people of his day to look at the traditions that they have and how they might evaluate what to keep and what to get rid of as well. So we're in Matthew chapter 15, and we're continuing on in our study of the words spoken by the word. So Jesus, the living embodiment word of God, speaking, quoting scripture himself. And so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at three ways we know what traditions to keep. The first thing we need to do is we need to remove traditions that give a false perspective. Remove traditions that give a false perspective So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands 
when they eat. Now, this is not the first run-in that Jesus has had with the Pharisees, but this is the first run-in he's had with the national Pharisees. These guys are up from Jerusalem. He's had run-ins with the local uh, authorities, local Pharisees, but these guys are the big dogs. These are the, the chief of chiefs. They're, they're coming to ask Jesus questions, and they want to ask him a question about hand-washing, which already this question is incredibly suspect because they say, why do you violate the traditions of our elders? There's a couple things wrong with the question here. One, this wasn't really a tradition for normal everyday people. The Old Testament law said that you needed to wash if you were a priest, and then only in certain situations when you were officiating uh, worship in certain settings in in the temple. So this wasn't for common people, and if it was uh, for common people, it's something that hadn't moved very far into the culture. The Pharisees were trying to start something new, and they were saying that, oh, our elders said this. Well, it's probably only a couple of generations. And so they're coming to Jesus, and they're saying, hey, the guys that are in your charge, you're not teaching them right. You're not discipling them well. You need to teach them to wash, especially because you're in and around people who are unclean all the time. So you guys need to wash carefully. You don't want to take in anything, eat anything by mistake that is unclean. And so Jesus fires back in verse 3. He says, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and, and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. For the sake of your tradition, you have made, the, made void the word of God. Jesus appeals to a higher authority than the tradition of the elders. Now, this is kind of a strange quotation. There's something going on here that's cultural, and we need to pick up on it to understand the rest of the text. So the Pharisees had made a legal ruling from their tradition, from their understanding of the law, that actually violated the Old Testament law, the law of God. So their tradition then had trumped the Old Testament law which would be like a local city ordinance violating the Constitution and everybody kind of agreeing with it. The Constitution's what sets legal precedent and then on down, right? Old Testament law was supposed to do this. So what the Pharisees had said was, if you had a piece of property that you wanted to keep and you didn't want anybody else to use it, maybe especially your parents for whatever reason, you didn't want to take care of them like you were supposed to do, you could do what's called Corbin. You could dedicate, you could devote that piece of property to the temple, to God, and it would be God's. However, the trick is, the little caveat here, it would be devoted upon your death. So you would still be able to use it for as long as you wanted until you died, but nobody else would be allowed to touch it because it's devoted to God. It's crafty, huh? And so people would do this so that they didn't have to be generous. They didn't have to honor their father and mother. And this is why Jesus is saying, you've given a command, you've given a tradition that has violated the law of God. And because you violated the law of God, your tradition, your whole tradition is suspect. You're not doing it right. The law of God is important. And it's not just important because it told the Israelites what to do. That's, that's, that's a part of it, but it's not the big part. The law of God was there to tell the people who God is and who they are in relation to him. It's the revelation of God. And the tradition of the Pharisees is obscuring that. It's making it muddied. It's it's confusing it for the people. And so Jesus is saying it's not a good tradition then. The traditions of the Pharisees, which at this point were communicated orally, 
we're messing up the way that people viewed God. And this is what traditions can do to us as well. They can distort the perspective that we have on God and on ourselves. They can distort our perspective. All of us want to be happy. All of us do. All of us want to have purpose in our lives. All of us want to be fulfilled, right? That's a pretty common goal in life. All of us want to have lead meaningful, important existences that have long-term significance. And this is something that our faith, that Christianity has to offer. And we deliver it to people through the Word of God, obviously, but also through traditions. Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, traditions that bring forward the beauty and the glory of God in their diversity. Those are good things. We offer to people God, uh, we offer to, uh, to people a God who made them in His image. And when they failed to live up to that image, He came, He put on flesh, He dwelt amongst men, and then He died on a cross to reconcile them to Himself. We offer people a relationship with God that is vibrant, that's life-giving, that's purposeful. One that affirms both the spiritual person who's incredibly devoted to the Lord. And it's very obvious, the, the, the pastors, the ministers, but also who affirms the blue-collar worker who's every day in his job being faithful to what God has called him to do and everything in between. But sometimes our traditions can get in the way of people seeing the beauty of the gospel story. The gospel's beautiful. I think you would agree with that. But sometimes we put our traditions in front of the gospel and it makes it obscure. It makes it confusing. It doesn't make it clear. Now, it's not that people don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's that people don't want anything to do with the Jesus that we've packaged for them in our traditions sometimes. Many of the traditions that we need to think about pruning are the ones that have to do with perception and what people might think and how it might look. Like for instance, we have a tradition in church of dressing up on Sunday morning, right? You wear the right clothes. I intentionally did not wear a suit this morning to address that very fact. And it's bothering some of you. That's a tradition. Because what it does, and I like suits, I like dressing up, but what it does is it th makes people think that they have to look a certain way, be a certain way, in order to come to the cross. They've got to get their life in order first before they can come to Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Send me whoever. I don't care what you sound like, what you look like, how you dress. Come to me, and I will give you rest. So how do we fix this? How do we unravel some of the damage that our traditions have done? Do you want me to just, you want me to wear shorts and cuss a lot, Travis? No. One, I don't think that would be effective or right. I do like shorts, though. I don't think that would be effective because there's a lot of baggage now. We've got to work really hard to undo some of the damage that our traditions have done. And we need to be honest about that. One of the ways we can be honest about that is to go find someone who has no relationship with Jesus Christ and ask them about their traditions. Ask them about how they think you have a relationship with God. How do you worship? How do you find meaning? How do you find purpose? And then, this is going to be hard, this is the hard part, listen. We listen. I'm not good at listening. I, I talk professionally. But we listen. And we don't judge. And then we have the opportunity to share. And you know what this will do for somebody? 
It surprises them. One of the biggest compliments I got, and this should, be, this should tell you where we're at as a denomination, one of the biggest compliments I got as an army chaplain was when people found out that I was Baptist, they actually said, wow, you don't seem like a Baptist, like any Baptist I've talked to. Because I wasn't judging them. We have an image problem as Baptists. And we need to work really hard to fix that because it can keep people away from following after Christ because they don't want anything to do with them or us. We need to work hard to fix that. We need to work hard to fix that. This is why we're doing the, the who's your one. Go find your one person. Bring them with you to church on Sunday. On Easter Sunday, pray for them. Go engage with them. Ask them what they believe, what they think. Get to know them. Let's peel away some of the damage that our traditions, that are both good and bad, have damaged. So we need to remove traditions that give false perspectives. But we need to keep traditions that create true worship. We need to keep traditions that create true worship. Look at verse 7. Jesus is still speaking to the Pharisees, and he says, You hypocrites. Let's stop right there. It's a very bold, right? Bold statement by Jesus. He's calling them hypocrites because they are obsessed with keeping the law, obsessed with it. But yet they're not keeping the most important laws, which are the laws of God. They're saying one thing and doing another, the, the classic hypocritical ways. What they're doing is they're actually trying to love God in the ways that they want to love God rather than the ways that God has said, I want to be loved. This would be like having a, a spouse or a friend, significant other, who has talked about wanting a sapphire ring. I just really want a sapphire ring. Uh, just a nice, I love the color blue. I like the way it pops on my finger. I just really want sapphire. If you want to get me something for my birthday, get me a sapphire ring. And so you go down to the jewelers and you start looking at the rings and you're like, I'm going to get a sapphire ring. It's going to be great. And then your eye catches a really flashy diamond over there. You start thinking to yourself, you're like, man, diamonds are nicer, more valuable. It'll make me look really good by giving, because that's, that's a more expensive gift, right? I'll give them a diamond. So you give them the diamond, and they're like, oh, this is great, but that gift is more about you than it is about the person who's receiving it. We do this with God all the time. We do this with God a lot. The Pharisees were doing this. They, was, the traditions of the people were trumping the law of God. And so Jesus quotes Isaiah 29, 13. He says in verse 7, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. And people are going through the motions. People are checking boxes. They're saying that if you do the right things, then God will be honored and you're good to go. It doesn't matter if your heart's not in it or not. And some of you come from traditions and from churches that have done that. They've just gone through the motions and they've encouraged people going through the motions. That's one of the dangers that traditions have. Now, I want you to hear me out. I want this to be very clear. I love tradition. I actually argued a little bit with Jeff about whether or not I should be the one to preach in here because I don't feel um, that maybe I'm the most uh, forward-thinking or revolutionary person, right, to push people forward in it. I love traditions. I'm a baseball fan. Is there a more tradition-laden sport than Major League Baseball? On top of that, I'm a National League baseball fan. The DH is heresy. It should be gone. We should burn all the DH bats. At a, get rid of them. I love tradition. I do. Traditions can be helpful. You know what traditions do? They package something that's uh, sort of abstract and amorphous, 
and they put it into a package so that we can hand it down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Take, for instance, a graduation ceremony. Am I more educated because I walked in my graduation ceremony than those that maybe didn't? Of course not. I got the same degree I did. But when you go through a graduation ceremony, which you'll probably see a bunch of them coming up in a few months, I'm actually showing that I'm connected with those who went behind me. I'm the class of this year, those were the classes before me, and I'm carrying on the tradition of excellence or professionalism or whatever it is, as well as saying I'm qualified to do this, right? Traditions are good things. I would actually argue that one of the problems that my generation has as millennials, what we have is that we're too tradition-averse, and we don't have enough traditions. And one of the reasons for this is because there's so many new things that have happened in the last 20 years that tradition hasn't had time to catch up. We haven't had time to create traditions. Like, for instance, uh, getting a cell phone. In every society in the world, there are coming-of-age ceremonies. When a young boy or a young girl becomes a young man or a young woman, and it's marked off with some kind of tradition, some sort of ritual, getting a cell phone for a teenager, hopefully it's a teenager, is a big step into adulthood now. And what do we do? We just take them down to the store, we buy them the phone they want, and then we lose them to the internet for 20 years. There's no ritual around it. There's no tradition around it. It's a coming-of-age moment. We need to speak into it and help people understand the power, the ability that comes with having this phone, the independence that comes with it, but also the dangers and the pitfalls. Parents, that's a moment for you to start a tradition. Because they're going to need to be equipped to help their kids understand technology and new things that are coming very quickly. And tradition is good at doing that. It keeps us anchored. It keeps us anchored. But on the other end of the spectrum, traditions can lose their purpose. Because sometimes they calcify, sometimes they become arthritic, and they become what's called traditionalism. Which is when it becomes more about worshiping the form or the style than it is about the purpose. Traditions are pathways, they're vehicles to honoring God, but sometimes our traditions become what it's all about. We just want people to check the boxes and do the traditions right. Becomes a a rote sort of thing. There's a great theologian who's the best name ever. His name's Yaroslav Pelikan, and he says this, tradition is the living faith of the dead, but traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And I suppose I should add, it is traditionalism that gives tradition such a bad name. So how do we do this? How do we fix this? How do we keep our traditions from calcifying? How do we keep them flexible? How do, we, how do we give them like tradition Pilates and yoga and keep them loose so that they're ready for the next generation? Well, one, we have to gear our hearts towards God every day in devotion. This is why we say, why our mission statement is rescuing one another from cultural Christianity, which you could substitute cultural Christianity there for traditionalism. Rescuing one another from cultural Christianity to do what? Follow Jesus. How often? Every day. If your worship of Jesus Christ only happens in certain venues, in certain rooms, tied to certain events with certain instruments, your worship of God will calcify to a time and a place, and you will not experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your Monday through Saturday because it will be tied to a high holy place. The Holy Spirit goes with us in the heart of the believer. Live out your traditions Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday. The church should be concerned about Monday morning just as much as we're concerned about Sunday morning. I want you to be equipped to go into your work a fully discipled follower of Jesus Christ. I want my traditions to do that for you, and if they don't, you need to get rid of it. 
If you're engaging in the Word of God, if you're prayer, fasting, resting, community, accountability, every day, every moment, it'll actually invigorate your worship here. You want to make worship on Sunday mornings better? Make your worship Monday through Saturday better. And Sunday morning will come alive. It'll pop in a way that you have never experienced before. Another thing you can do is to find traditions that are both older than you and newer than you. This is a big one. Here's one that you can do. I'm really going to push the envelope here. Go to the Great Hall once a month for worship. I know, I got a little chuckle there. It was great. Or in Espanol. It'll do two things for you. One, you need to recognize that what's happening in other venues on Sunday morning is God honoring and leading people into worship. It's good for you to affirm that. I love traditional worship. I do. I'm one of the blessed few people that can worship in any venue and feel like I'm really engaged. But I also get appreciating a style. I, I do. But we need to be able to go and affirm our other brothers and sisters in Christ and see what they're doing. And then maybe even be able to offer insight on how to make it better. Not from a position of being like, hey, what we do in the sanctuary is way better than what you guys do. But like, hey, we, we noticed that this is something that you do. How about incorporating this hymn or incorporating this practice? Also, you can get connected with traditions that are older than you, right? Older than you. Read some catechisms. Whoa. Catechisms are instructions in the faith. They're questions and answers. Most of you would agree with most of what a catechism says. Read it. Understand it. Compare it to Scripture. Most of them have Scripture references applied to them. The Westminster Catechism, the Heidelberg Confession are great places to start. Another one you could do is memorize a creed. Like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. If you are a Trinitarian believer, if you believe in the Trinity, you already affirm the Nicene Creed. So it's good to know what it says. Now some of you might say, no creed but the Bible. I get that. You know that's a creed, right? It's something that you've memorized that gives you direction to your faith and practice. That's a creed. It's short, but it's still a creed. Another thing you can do is practice spiritual disciplines that you're not used to. What are we really good in in the Baptist church? Prayer, Bible reading. We are awesome at those. We believe those are the ways you interact with God. That's great. Did you know that there's other spiritual disciplines that you can practice? Corporately and privately? How about solitude? My extroverts in the room are like, no, not solitude. Solitude, getting by yourself. My introverts in the room are like, yeah. Actually, they're more like, yeah. <laughs> Solitude. Celebration, right? That's another one. That's a biblical thing. Celebrating is a spiritual discipline. Some of y'all need to work that one a little bit more into your life. So do I. Meditation. And not just the Eastern practice of like emptying your mind, but taking one verse of Scripture and just chewing on it, meditating on it, dwelling on it. Prayerfully ask God how these things, new traditions, old traditions, might come together and invigorate the traditions that you already have. As a people, we should be concerned about blazing new pathways in worship to God while also keeping the pathways cleared on the old ways so that people can walk down many different ways to follow God. Again, in styles and in forms of worship. Now granted, there are boundaries on those. We allow Scripture and the Spirit to inform what we do and what we don't do. But there's a lot of really good ancient practices and new practices that we should start looking at. 
Tradition's a pathway to honoring God. We need to know that some traditions are worth keeping. That's why I like this service, keeping some good traditions alive. But that shouldn't be what the service is about. The service is not the last bastion of traditional worship in America. The service is about giving glory and honor to God, and who knows, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, this service will, maybe will look radically different because the forms change. Jeff is famously says, in all, things, in all things core, unity, in all things non-core, freedom, and in all things grace. Let's evaluate what's core, what's not core. And let's hold loosely to the things that aren't core. So tradition, we need to throw out the things. We need to remove the things that give the wrong perspective, the false perspective. We need to keep the things that give true worship. we got one other thing we need to do to evaluate our traditions and how to know whether to keep them. We need to pass on traditions that make real disciples. Pass on traditions that make real disciples. Look at verse 10. And he called the people to him and he said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. So Jesus is flipping the traditions of the Pharisees on their heads. And then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Oh no, it's offended the Pharisees. Jesus is calling out the traditions of the Pharisees, not because Jesus is trying to be, show that he's smarter or better. He is. He's actually doing this, and he's doing it to the crowd so he can show them that that way, that pathway, that tradition will lead you nowhere. That is not the right way of discipleship. Let me now instruct you in the correct way of discipleship. They've got it backwards. It's what, not what goes into your mouth, but what comes out of your mouth that actually makes you unclean. And this helps us evaluate our own traditions. We need to ask ourselves questions about our traditions and what we're handing down to the next generation. Is it true? Does it clarify or does it confuse people? Is it core? Is it not core? Is it making disciples? And if it's making disciples, what kind of disciples are we making? So i got three questions from the text that I want us to ask when it comes to disciple-making. First one is, do our traditions encourage longevity? Do our traditions encourage longevity? Look at verse 13. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. This is a strange thing to talk about. But Jesus responds by essentially saying, what the Pharisees do, what they believe, isn't eternally significant. In the long term, it's not going to matter. So ignore it. And when you think about it, the Pharisees don't exist anymore. They've impacted Judaism a little bit. But outside of that, they don't exist as a sect. This is what it means to be pulled up. God is going to remove them. Traditions are about passing down what is right, what is truth, what is righteousness to the next generation. And some of us, and I fall into this trap sometimes too, are more concerned about what we're experiencing in our generation and maybe what the next generation will experience, but are we thinking beyond that? I want the traditions of people following the Jesus of the Bible to endure, not just next generation for my kids, but my grandkids and my great-grandkids. We need to set that up for them. Are future generations going to be able to build off the foundations that we've laid? Are they going to be able to walk down the path and make it clearer, make it broader, make it apply to their day and age? Or are they going to have to just 
forget the trail that we've blazed and start new ones because the ones that we laid behind weren't able to meet their need in the day and age that they lived. Are we going to be able to do that? This is what's happened in, in a lot of mainline denominations. People have thrown out sound doctrine because the traditions don't hold up. They don't endure through the ages. They haven't endured. Remember, traditions are pathways or vehicles to honoring God. So let's pass down good traditions that do that, not ones that are confusing, that are meandering, that are rocky. One of the ways you can do this is by thinking about how you're going to pass the torch. How are you going to pass the torch? So there's a, 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 the Olympic torch. Many of you all have seen the Olympics. Hopefully all of you have seen the Olympics. But in the 1976 games, the big Olympic flame went out. Now, the flame is lit from, from Athens and is carried across to wherever it's supposed to be with the relay, right? We've all seen the runners. But the torch went out. And so some a well-meaning official just like took his cigarette lighter because it was the 70s and everybody had a cigarette lighter. And he just lit it like right over here. And it went back up, and, and the Olympic officials were like, no, that's not the right flame. That's not the right way to do it. It's wrong fire. And they put it out, and they had a backup torch from which they could light the torch again from the fire in Athens. It was that important to them. We need to think about how we're going to pass the torch. And not just that we're passing a torch, but that we're passing the right torch. So I'm going to pick on some people here. Baby boomers, builders, I love you. You know I love you. I hope you know I love you. But you guys, you gals, like to hold on to control for a long time. You're resistant to passing the torch. You want to hold on to control. You want to hold on to the... Because, and I understand why. Millennials perhaps sometimes look like we're kind of running all over the place. I get it. But you need to help us ascend into the role of leadership that we'll be taking on in the next 10 and 15 years that we're taking on even now. Boomers, we need your help. We need you to pass down not just fire, but right fire. Millennials have fire. They've got passion. But sometimes it's misdirected fire. We need to pass on the right kind of fire. Millennials, I'm one of you, and I love you too. We need to be patient. We need to stop trying to rip torches out of people's hands when we feel like their time is done. And we need to stop leaving when we feel like we're not being given what we deserve, stick around. Our church has a great opportunity. There are builders, there are boomers, there are Gen Xers, there are millennials, there's even Gen Zers here, which they don't have a name yet. We're all here under one big roof. We can show the city and show the world how you pass down a torch, how you pass on traditions that enliven faith, that invigorate faith, how you keep core doctrines, how you keep core things central. That can be our gift to the world. And it's a good gift. Let's do it together. Let's do it together. So do our traditions encourage longevity? Do our traditions pass down truth? Verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the pit. Jesus faults the Pharisees not just for making disciples, but for making bad disciples. They're wrong, and they're making more people who are wrong. Bad disciples. It's not true what they're passing on. Discipleship is spiritual reproduction. That's what it is. You are making copies of yourself into future generations. So when you make copies of yourself, when you, when you have a child, 
spiritual or physical, that child looks like you, right? So my daughter looks just like my wife, praise the Lord, and she has my awesome personality. It's a lethal combination. (laughs) But she's like us because she's our child. Your disciples will look like you. They will follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus. Make sure they're following him in truth, in spirit and in truth. Make sure they're doing, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what you're doing when you disciple people. Do our traditions pass down truth, real truth, or something that isn't truthful? One of the ways we do this is, and I know Scripture is very important. We're really good about getting people to read the Bible. We've got Year of the Bible going on, which is awesome. But one of the things that's great about that little app on your phone is that it's also teaching you doctrine and theology. It's important to have a right theology because there's this thing called biblical theology that helps you think about what the Bible says, not just in this one passage, but across the board from Genesis to Revelation so that you don't misapply Scripture to your life. So you don't think that Jeremiah 29, 11 was written to you personally, but that it has a bigger meaning and a bigger purpose. And you're somewhere in that story. We need to teach people right theology and right doctrine. We have a bad habit in the Baptist church of teaching morals and teaching stories, but not teaching how those stories and morals fit into God's grander scheme. We also have a tradition of teaching people the cross, getting them to the cross, getting them into heaven, and being like, all right, bro, here's a Bible. Figure it out. We're not good at sticking with people through that. Our job as believers is to pass down what we have learned. That's what Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I passed on to you that which was of first importance. This is what evangelism is. And it's something that we've kind of started struggling with as a church, as a large C, capital C church. We struggle with evangelism. In order for us to survive and thrive and flourish, we need to be willing to use any tradition that's available, that's within sound, reasonable doctrine, that doesn't violate the law of God or the commands of God, but we have to be willing to use any tradition available to get our faith into future generations. Whether that's creeds, whether it's catechisms, whether it's social media, movies, videos, YouTube, hymns, praise and worship, responsive readings, missions, all of that stuff passes on a faith that we all want to endure. We all want that faith not just to be in the attic, but to be front and central. The last question is, do our traditions lead to hope? Verse 15. Verse 15, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The things that alienate you from God are not the things that you eat because they don't touch who you really are. But the things that come out of my heart, the things that I say, the things that I intend, the things that I think, those do defile me because they're from the center of who I am. And I read that and, and, and I think to myself, man, I, I can't think of a tradition that'll fix that. I can't think of a tradition that's gonna fix my heart, except for one. The tradition that Paul, that Paul passes down in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've got a heart problem. I can't stop slandering. I can't stop sexual immorality. I can't stop these things on my own. But 
I know that Jesus Christ can. And when I give my life to Him, when I, when I believe, when I trust in His death, burial, and resurrection to count for me, I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I'm rescued from that. And I'm made clean. I'm washed. I'm no longer broken. And then I get to join in a tradition, just like Gracie did. Baptism is an initiation rite into the church. She's joined our body of believers. She's a part of the body. And you know what? We all need to be changed. And so life then, discipleship becomes about giving my life to Christ and finding more and more hope and giving Him areas of my life that I withheld from Him. And we pass on that tradition of hope to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. If the tradition we're passing on is one of legalism and not one of hope, I'm not saying we, we divorce ourselves from truth. We absolutely keep truth. But within the truth of the gospel is hope. And if we're not presenting it right, if we're not teaching hope, then we're not doing it right. We're not, our traditions are wrong. We need to be concerned about discipleship. And I believe that heritage, if you've never trusted Christ, can be yours today. The heritage that started not just at the cross, but goes all the way back to David and to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob who believed God and it was credited to them as righteousness. You can believe today that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And you can talk about it with me in the next steps room. You can come get baptized. Jesus Christ is a great tradition. So we need to keep the traditions that lead us to real worship. We need to get rid of the ones that give us a false perspective. And we need to pass on traditions that help people make real disciples. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.